Hey there, looks like you found your way back to the Menagerie of Mystery. I'm Dr. Dave Scorpion Blood. Great to have you here. It's, uh, it's tough to travel these days, and vacations seem to be moving farther and farther away. It's got me nostalgic for crossing state lines. It reminded me of a time I shared a meal in a town you'd be hard-pressed to find on a map. It's a story I'll call The Oyster Bar. It was a few years back, and I had recently lost a job, and I was looking for a change of scenery. By coincidence, I had gotten in contact with my old friend Claire, who had some sort of job out in Texas, on the Gulf of Mexico. She said if I didn't mind some hard work, I could stay with her and make a few bucks. How could I say no? The instructions to get to her place were a nightmare. I had to hitch a boat ride a little ways up the Sabine River, along a little side creek, and hike an hour or two through marshland without a bar of self-service. The marsh was gray, with sickly yellow reeds bristling along the edge of swampy water. There wasn't a bird in sight, but the air was thick with gnats and big, droning mosquitoes that kept clinging to the collar of my shirt. Finally, I turned a corner and found a clearing with a small trailer. Hey, you found it. Oh, just barely. Claire, you're living in the wilderness. What happens if you get lost? <laughs> uh, so, how was the trip? As we caught up, Claire explained the finer points of her work. So, this marshland has just a ton of salt and minerals in the water, and makes these salt deposits that you can scrape up. Okay, but what's it for? Mm, fine dining, my guy. It's a local delicacy on the coast. They're crazy about this stuff. There's a town near here? Well, why the hell did I have to take the river and hike and everything? Couldn't I have just taken a cab ride to town or something? Listen, we'll be going into town at the end of the week. I'll explain everything then. The week was spent knee-deep in marshes all day shoveling grainy gray salt into buckets, and then pouring it out onto big metal sheets on top of Claire's trailer. The work was tough, but the company was good, and I found myself enjoying the nights, looking up at stars and listening to the frog songs from the ponds. We ate mostly canned soup and crackers, but I was promised something fresh when we made the delivery. The following Saturday evening, we started packing up to take the dried marsh salt into town. Uh, go ahead and pack that extra flashlight. We don't want to get left in the dark. Uh, got it. Why didn't we head over during the day, anyway? The place that buys this stuff doesn't open until nightfall. Besides, the whole town is basically shut down all day. I think the heat bothers them. Well, whatever they like. Is that a gun? Come on, Mike, it's Texas. Better to have it and not need it, right? Claire and I loaded up two bicycles and headed down a narrow path towards the coast. As we biked along, night fell. The frogs were out again, and I saw a few fireflies as we zigzagged through the marsh. Eventually, we found the edge of an asphalt road. 
there was an empty concrete guard post on one side. See that? There was a big accident out here a while back, and the government set up these outposts to try to get a handle on everything. But nobody really wanted to get in, and none of the folks in town actually wanted to leave, so they eventually just abandoned it. I actually cleared out a bunch of barbed wire from the roadway way back because I was just sick of having to take my bike onto the shoulder. It's full of weeds. What happened here? Mm, who knows? It's all top-secret stuff, I guess, and the folks in town don't like to talk about it. The town was full of old buildings with flaking paint. If I didn't know better, I would have thought it was abandoned. The only light I saw was a single bulb illuminating a billboard. It was a political poster, and I could barely make out the words, Vic Anders wants to support small business. Vote Anders. Someone had gotten up there with spray paint and changed it, and the writing over it now said, All of us wants to growing small lights. Vote us all. As we moved farther into town, I saw more lights coming from a small factory building. What do they make here? Nothing. It's a cannery, but they haven't canned anything in years. After the government locked down the town, they started filling the cans up with mud to keep up appearances. Not that it mattered. The feds intercepted all the cans as evidence or whatever, so they eventually stopped. Here, watch this. Claire got off her bike and led me over to a grimy window. Inside, we could see blurry figures of people just standing next to machinery, not moving at all. Claire knocked on the window. Hey, hello in there. All the people inside jumped a little and started pulling levers, pushing buttons, and moving boxes from spot to spot, occasionally looking over at the window to see if we were still watching. We were starting to head back over to the road when a figure emerged from the shadows outside the building and reached a gray hand right for Claire's shoulder. Ah! Nice evening, isn't it? Hello there, Mr. Pertree. Let's get going. What? Okay. Nice evening, isn't it? Nice evening, isn't it? As fog began to roll in from the gulf, we passed a park covered in overgrown grass. There were figures kneeling on the ground, their arms and legs wet with dew. As we got closer, I could see them plucking snails off the wet cement and popping them into their mouths. The first one to notice us was a police officer, who had been standing with his arms out under a street lamp, letting moths land on his face. When he saw us, he started wandering around, waving a termite-worn baton. Nothing to see here. Let's move along, folks. Nothing to see. There's nothing here, folks. Let's move it along. This roused the rest of the crowd, and they all stood up and made vain attempts at jogging or checking long-dead cell phones. One of them just tossed a torn kite up in the air, picking it up and throwing it again when it fell. We finally made it to the delivery spot, a 
combination oyster bar and pizza place. Before we went inside, Claire pointed out the Elks Lodge across the street. It looked like every lightning rod in the city had been nailed to the roof of the place, and you could just barely see some figures in the dark, up there on the roof, doing... something. An old man was sitting on the stoop, threading thick copper wire into a loose pile of kelp. The bar was called the Clipper, if the old, moldy menus were any indication. Claire turned the lights on, and there was a huge man behind the bar, who had apparently been standing in the dark. Ah! Nice evening, isn't it? Hi, Tony. I have the salt. See? Salt. Oh, salt. Nice evening, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, nice evening. I'd put down the menu if I were you. They make a version of pizza here, but I guarantee you don't want to try it. As Tony stumbled into a back room, Claire went around behind the bar and found an ice chest full of the biggest oysters I had ever seen. From the restaurant's window, I could see the coast, lit by the moon. A couple dozen people were down on the beach. I could faintly hear the hammering of metal on metal. At five-minute intervals, some old lady or crossing guard or little league player walked into the surf and just kept walking. There were lights glowing faintly under the water. They never got any brighter, but sometimes they would move. A minute later, Tony came back and pressed a wet fistful of bills and coins into Claire's hand. As she counted it, she had me carry the ice chest out to the bikes. The ride back was quiet. I tried to ignore the people in the park and in the factory. After we left the asphalt and got back on the trail, I started hearing frogs again. We spent the rest of the night by a campfire in front of Claire's trailer, drinking bourbon and eating oysters on the half shell. A raw oyster doesn't move, and you can't check it for a heartbeat. You can only tell it's alive if it's a struggle to open the shell. My first serving had a stowaway, a little pea crab. She'd probably lived most of her life inside the oyster shell. She might have even been a second-generation citizen. But once the shell opened, she made a scramble for the edge of the plate. I watched her make her way across the dirt and out into the night. Life is full of strange things, but moments that really stick with us are the little things, like sharing a meal with a friend. Here's a quote to send us off from Khalil Yabrant. In the sweetness of friendship, let there be laughter and sharing of pleasures. For in the dew of little things, the heart finds its morning and is refreshed. Hey, it's Micah again. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked it. Today's guest voice was Eleanor Mosshart. She is a professional shit poster. You can find her stuff on L.Systems. That's E-double-L-E dot systems. You can also find her 
at cryptidiot on Twitter. That's at C-R-Y-P-T-I-D-I-O-T. You should really follow her. She is the smartest person I know. She is more than a professional shit poster. Also, she's invincible to drugs. I can't tell you how cool she is. Elle, thank you for letting me bully you into being on this show. The music and script for this episode were written by me, Micah Cheek, with story editing by Jack Schnelly. You can find her stuff at JL underscore Schnelly on Twitter. That's JL underscore S-C-H-N-E-L-L-E. Thanks again. I hope you enjoy the next one.